little series, and uh, we're going to we're going to talk uh, this week, uh, and I'm going to do a two-part series, and then we're going to launch into our fall study. I'm very excited about it. We're going to be studying the Book of Nehemiah, building a greater, better future. Uh, for our gen next generation, for the next generation. Nehemiah, as you know, is the story of the building of the wall around Jerusalem after it had, it had been destroyed when Israel, Israel was attacked. It was uh, destroyed and the entire country had been overtaken and uh, it was the 70 years of exile and now Israel was returning. And it took a great leader, Nehemiah, to gather together his people and build community and raise up uh, the wall in order to build a better future for the next generation. So it's about leadership, it's about mentoring, it's, a, it's about a lot of things. And we're going to learn a lot of lessons from that, whether you're in business or whether you're raising kids or whether you're in the schoolroom, it really doesn't matter. Wherever you are, you're, you're perceived as a leader and how you do that uh, Nehemiah can help us. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the corner in a couple weeks and we're going to look at that. But in the next two weeks, I wanted to give you a quick snapshot of where we are as a church, give you a few updates, and then I want to talk about what I consider to be kind of our next phase as a church. Um, if I, as I've been thinking about it, I kind of had a little vision, not a, like a map. I didn't see it in the clouds or anything like that. But, but uh, I did have this sense that we have moved from one phase to the, to the next in this church. We started in phase one, which I call community. We were a big community. We were a family. We all met together. We had one service. And uh, we, we socialized together. We worshiped together. And we built this great relationship. And that was for the first many years together. We were a community of followers of Jesus. And then I, we moved into a second phase, phase two. And several years ago, we started grounder groups. We started women's groups, men's groups, prayer groups, groups, smaller groups of people that would gather together to encourage one another where you could be known and also be challenged and encouraged. It's really hard to do in a larger setting in a church. And so what we designed was smaller groups of people gathering for phase two of our church so that they might become better known and be encouraged to walk with the Lord. Well, as I see it, we have another phase. And this is a little bit of a challenge for us, but what it is, it's phase three is all about what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said these words. He said, all authority under heaven and earth has been given unto me. Jesus had died, was risen. He's now in his resurrected state, and he's about ready to be ascended into the heavens to sit on the right hand of the Father with full authority. And this is, the, when you sit on the right hand, you're like the ambassador of the king. And the ambassador is the one that um, relates to the people for the king. Jesus would be that person for us, would be our advocate, would be the one that would relate to the Father on our behalf, be the one to be in relationship with so we could be in relationship with the Father. And he would go sit on the right hand. But before he did, he said these words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all all that I commanded, and lo, I am with you always. Jesus gave us 
his last words. And last words are often lasting words. And the word that he gave us is one word, disciple. I want you to go make disciples. Now, the rest of the passage is describing how we do that, to go, to baptize, to teach. Those are ways we do it. But we are to become disciple makers. Jesus had one thought on his mind. And this is a message for our church. What does it mean to be a disciple maker? And that's what we're going to look at this morning briefly. We're going to talk a bit about it because I believe Jesus had this on his mind for the church. And I think we've gotten off track. And we need to come back to this idea of how do we become a disciple of Jesus. The easiest definition, mathetes is the Greek word. What is a disciple? It's simply this, a follower and a learner of Jesus. It's one who listens to the teachings of Jesus and then learns how to follow that, to imitate that. It's a relationship where we are imitating the one that we are learning from to become like Christ. That's the New Testament's all about that, right? I mean, that's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19. He says, "My children, with whom I am in labor until Christ is formed in you." The forming of Christ in every single person. I mean, Paul says it over and over again. Ephesians chapter 4, again, he says in uh, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is fitted together. Every single part fitted, we are all growing up in love to become like Christ. I mean, you, you continue on. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. We are to imitate the imitators. As Paul was an imitator of Christ, we are to be imitators of Jesus. And on and on. Colossians chapter 1. With all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. The completion of Christ in you is the objective of the Christian life. And how that's done is through discipleship. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how, what that looks like to be in a relationship with Jesus where you are considered a disciple of his, where you're learning from him and trying to learn how to imitate him in your life and how we make disciples as Jesus disciples us. That is the objective of the church. And I think we are now moving from a comfortable, wonderful community where it's friendly and loving to a smaller groups where we can socialize together and talk about, talk about the sermon around a, a meal and, and go a little further and be known to actually now talking specifically about how to be formed in Christ. Let's have that conversation. Let's go after it. Let's make that the focus of our relationships. That's phase three. Does that make sense? So phase three, now that we're there, I think we're right at the cusp of moving into this. We're now at a point where we need to be challenged to take every opportunity of every relationship and turn them into disciple opportunities where we are challenging one another to become a disciple of Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. And so how, he's do, how we do that is, first of all, to go. Do you see that in the passage? Going, it's a participle. Baptizing, participle. Teaching, participle. 
See, they describe how the main verb is to be done, which is be a disciple maker. Be a disciple. How? How do I do it? I go, I baptize, and I teach. That's how I do it. Going into all the world, into all ethnic groups, ethnic cultures, means literally for you and I to go into every segment of society with the mindset that I want to imitate Jesus and be in relationship with others so that I might be able to model it and engage others in a conversation about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. That's where we start. We go. We go. Every one of us. You go. Workplace. Schoolroom. Family environment, neighborhood. I was standing on the beach. I said, go into the ocean. There's people out in the ocean that need to know about Jesus. Everywhere we go, we go. We were to be pushed out. And Jesus says, go, get out. Don't be here. I mean, we come here once a week, but the rest of the week, where are we, what are we doing? We are going into the world, into every segment of society in order to have an impact with the gospel. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. Jesus pushed out his disciples. And in fact, that's how the church grew. He studied the book of Acts. And then he says baptize. And I think the word baptism there means to make a profession of faith. That's what it means. It means to associate with, help people come into a relationship with Christ where they will say one day, I associate with Jesus. He's on my lips. That's my first association is Jesus. And baptism represents that act by which one goes in the water and comes out of the water, his professing a faith and association with Jesus. And that's our objective. And then third of all, we're to teach all that Jesus commanded. Our job isn't done until we become like Christ, which means our job isn't done until we learn how to be obedient to everything Jesus said. Does that make sense? So we got to, this is a tall task. This is, this is a lifetime pursuit of learning how to be obedient to all the, think of all that Jesus taught. Everything we are to become obedient in, which means our objective is to be in relationship with one another to encourage and challenge that we would be studying and learning and growing and applying and becoming like Jesus. Now, the big question is how do we do that? And this morning, we're going to talk about that just briefly. But I, I want to ask a, um, a member of our congregation, our church, a, a great friend, and one who has gone, literally gone into the world and is about impacting young people as a disciple maker, as a disciple maker. So Tommy Draffin, come up and tell us a little bit about your story. And I'm going to stand up here in case you don't tell the whole story. I'm going to ask you a few questions. But... Step you, over you, to the microphone I, right I, over here, you, you, my friend. I only need about 20 minutes. Okay, well, you got it if you need it. So anyway, when Todd asked me to do this, I, um, I thought, really, I said, let's discuss it. I, I'm, not, I'm not discipling, okay? And, and, but we, we talk about it, and uh, I, I think I'm, I'm presenting. But if, if, then I think about it more, and, and, and maybe it is discipling, because when I decided to to coach football do i need this all right so when i uh, when i decided to coach football i really wanted to impact young people I, I i look at the world and most of the kids don't have a christian worldview they don't they don't understand it most kids i mean i got 30 kids on the team this year i said hey how many guys know the story of joseph in the bible zero zero kids know the story of joseph in the bible 
I showed a movie the other day. Billy Graham was on the last scene. I said, hey, how many people know who, Bill, who, who that guy is right there? Zero. Zero. So, so that's my passion is because Jesus did everything for me. Because of God, who, who God is, and, and everything he's done for me my whole life, I owe everything to him. And so I want to share that. I want to make sure that as many people as I come in contact with, especially young men and women, know who Jesus is. Because if, if they don't, they're going to miss that opportunity. So I, I'm just, that's a burden for me. And so when I think about opportunities, you know, I look for intentional opportunities. I, I do believe, number one, you need to be in the Scripture. You know, it, how often it comes when I'm reading a Scripture, like, wow, you know what, I'm going to share that with the boys today. I'm going to share that with my buddy, uh, two young married guys uh, in, in Georgia, raising families and, and, you know, accountability. So there's so many ways you can do it. I am the most inadequate guy to do that that you could ever possibly meet, okay? But, but this is what I'm called to do. And, and you know, it's, um, you said truth and mercy. And Proverbs 3.3 3 said truth and mercy, some truth and love. Bind them around your neck, write them on a tablet of your heart. And so I think when you're talking to young people, anyone, truth and mercy. Don't compromise, but it's all in love. Um, and then, you know, preparing for this, because, you know, you didn't give me a lot of help on this, Todd. <laughs> so, I mean, I read this whole book. No, I didn't read the whole book. But I had this cost of discipleship with Dietrich Bonifer, and he's talking in Chapter 14 about the, the uh, you know, the contradiction between Matthew Chapter 5 uh, let your light shine before men so that you glorify your Father. That's, that's critical. And then chapter 6, verse 1, don't do any charitable deeds in front of men so that they'll see you do them, right? And, and so I, I think I would just end by, by reading what, what Dietrich Bonifer said about discipleship because he knows a lot more than me. So if you'll bear with me for one second. Thirdly, we have to ask how the contradiction between the fifth and sixth chapters is to be resolved? The answer lies in the meaning of discipleship. It means an exclusive adherence to him, and that implies first that the disciple looks only to his Lord and follows him. If he looked only at the extraordinary quality of the Christian life, he would no longer be following Christ. For the disciple, this extraordinary quality consists solely in the will of the Lord, and when he seeks to do that, that will he knows that there is no other alternative and that what he does is the only natural thing to do. So for me, it's the only natural thing to do. Tommy, thank you for that because I think what you do, Tommy, is you are a, um, you're, you're an example of one who takes every opportunity to, um, to model what it means to live for Christ. And that may not necessarily mean um, where you're actually sharing a particular truth or you're opening the Bible and doing that. You're just living your life among young people. You're on the high school campus. You're on the athletic field. You're in the business world. You are training up your own kids in your business. And I see you in lots of different environments where you are in proximity with other people and you're just modeling the kind of life that you've lived among them. And that is possible for all of us, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to be much further along, just a little bit further along. 
See, that, that, that enables each and every one of us, Tommy, and so I appreciate it. So thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. Thanks for sharing a little bit about that. See, the, what Tommy is doing, whether it's on the football field or whether it's in his business or in his own home, he's doing what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And in Luke chapter 6, he begins with this analogy. He says, a blind person cannot guide a blind person, can he? I mean, will they not both fall into a pit? The blind leading the blind is what comes out of that, right? That's what Jesus is saying. That, that somebody needs to be able to see in order to lead, so to avoid the pits. And then Jesus says these words. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's become fully trained will be like his teacher. See, that's discipleship, becoming like someone else. It's modeling the Christian life in a way where someone else is seeing that example and they are wanting and desiring to become a little bit like you or a little bit like Jesus as we are being discipled by Jesus and becoming more and more like him. And every relationship has the ability to be transformed into a discipleship relationship. And that's what I want to see in the church. Us looking at relationships totally different. Rather than a social interaction or an athletic interaction or a business interaction, we look at our relationships from a discipleship perspective, recognizing we have an ability to impact one another. And so that's what modeling looks like. Let me give you an example. This is a, from history, but was way back to the 1700s. Captain Steed Bonnet was a major in the British uh, Navy. And in the 1700s, as a result of having a nagging wife, and this is what it says in the Smithsonian at least, and pretty much deciding to give up on the sugar plantation that he owned and his children. He bought himself a pirate ship, hired a crew, and became a pirate in the 1700s. His name is Captain Steed Bonnet. It's a true story. And he was called the gentleman's pirate because he did everything backwards. Hired his staff, took really good care of them. He had a library, a study in his quarters. I mean, people, pirates were illiterate. Well, not Captain Steed. And uh, he didn't know how to attack other ships. I mean, he didn't know how to steer the ship. He didn't know anything about pirating. And so he'd have to ask questions. And he just made one mistake after another. And he didn't want to kill people, just want to steal stuff. And then he made the mistake of, of attacking a Spanish war, a man of war. And uh, lost 30 of his crew and uh, was injured and ended up in Barbados, in the Bahamas. And uh, in the Bahamas, he was um, uh, recovering. He met a man named Captain Blackbeard. And Captain Blackbeard was the true pirate. And he was so theatrical that he would have paper in his beard and he'd light the paper and the smoke would actually come up over his face and it's just his evil eyes would be showing. And that's how he, he caused fear in his crew and, and in other ships because Black, Black, Captain Blackbeard was the true pirate. Pilfered and stole and murdered and, and, and that's who he was. And, and so Captain Steed Bonnet learned from him in these years of recovery Captain Blackbeard said, I can captain your ship while you recover. And in the process, 
taught Captain Steed Bonnet how to be a true pirate. Turned on him, stole his staff and his ship, and then Steed turns and, and goes after Blackbeard and becomes a true pirate. Ends up cap, being captured, and at the age of 30, he is hung as a pirate. And here's the moral of the story. <laughs> if you have a nagging wife, don't leave because you'll eventually get hung. Right? That's the moral of the story. No, there's another moral. And the moral of the story is, be careful who models life for you. Because who model? Everyone has a model. Everyone has been in a discipleship relationship. That's the point. Jesus is simply saying something that is true for all of humanity, in all of culture, in all different segments of culture. We are all influenced by models and teachers, business associates, CEOs, parents. We all have influences in our life. We've been discipled. We are who we are by those that have influenced us. And what Jesus is saying is let's turn that around. Be careful. Turn it around. Because you have an opportunity to be impacted by the most important person in history, Jesus Christ, and to turn every relationship into an opportunity for discipleship and become like the person you are modeling after. And we enter those kinds of relationships every day. Now, I want to show you a couple graphs. And this is the com missing component that we often don't, we miss, I think, because we move from information all the way down to innovation. And you can see a TED Talk on this. There's lots of research on this. But let's go, yeah, there it is. So the more the Hellenistic or Western way of thinking is that we download information in order to produce innovation. In other words, change somebody's life. So somebody becomes innovative or creative and makes decisions of life simply by the download of information. And what we've discovered is actually the Hebrew way of thinking about how to create innovation and change is actually the missing ingredient is found in the Hebrew model, which is, as you can see, moving from information to imitation before innovation can happen. It's imitating. It's learning to imitate. It's finding others. It's being in a relationship where you can imitate and learn how through modeling how to bring about life change in another person. That's what discipleship is about. And that's what I want us to begin to be challenged with and focus on. Now, let me show you the other model that I have here, and then we're going to kind of close it for this morning. But and then tomorrow or next week, we're going to come back and kind of phase two or, or, or section two of this, this message will come next week. And I think Denise is going to help me with it if she's on board. Uh, she's going to be here. So I think it's going to be really good to provide some tools. But let's think about this because what we notice in Jesus's life, let's look at Jesus for a second because as Jesus interacted, we found in Mark chapter 1, the crowd followed Jesus. In fact, it says that, that there were so many people surrounding Jesus for healing, for information, for help, that people were a sheep without a shepherd. By Mark chapter 1, Jesus has to leave and go spend time alone in the, with the Father. And then it says that his disciples, whom he had chosen to be with him, 
came to him and said, Lord, let's go back. Let's go back to the crowd. Let's go back to the people. They need you. you the masses, you're the one. You have the answers. You can heal everybody. Lord, do this. And in Mark chapter 1, at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, Jesus says, no, let's go to other towns and preach the gospel there also. And what Jesus modeled was not spending more and more time with the crowd, but more and more time with a few. Because what he believed was as he got closer to the end of his three and a half years of ministry, think of it, the most important figure in all of history has three and a half years to accomplish his task. And we find half of his time spent with 12 individuals. Think of that. The most important message, the most important figure in all of history does not have an 80-year life. He has a three-and-a-half-year ministry, and he spends half the time with a large group of disciples, the 70, more time with his 12, and even a more focused time with three and with his father. And what I find often in our church world is that we spend more and more time on the crowd than on the individual. And I think the challenge for the church today, and I, I've got quote after quote after quote on this. I mean, C.S. Lewis, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the mission and sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. That's C.S. Lewis. You may agree, you may disagree. You may think the large group setting is where you influence. But guess what? Crowds are fickle. Remember? The crowd turned on Jesus when he, was, when he went into, the, into Jerusalem. They turned on him. Crucify him. The very crowd he ministered and touched and changed their lives and healed them turned on him. And he knew that in order to, call, to cause a mass revolution in the world, a change. Well, you do not focus on the crowd, you focus on a few. And you will change the world. That's what Jesus believed. And the more concentrated time you have, the more impactful the imitation and the modeling and the transformation. I would say this. Of all the things I've experienced in the 50 years of my Christian life experience, 50 years of walking with Christ, the number one thing that has caused more success in my life is discipleship. Being in a one-to-one -one relationship with someone else. I remember Bill McPhee very early in my life. I remember Ron Lenders. I remember going to college and walking up to the director of Campus Crusade for Christ after a quarter at UC Berkeley and kind of struggling in my faith and wondering how I'm going to live in a fraternity and play a, 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 on the rugby team and, and go to school and all these influences. And I went to this little meeting and I walked right up to the director, John Bruce, and I said, would you disciple me? He said, no, but I have a staff member that will. He didn't know me. He had no idea who it was. But I have somebody who will. And I started meeting with a guy named Keith Young every single week. And you know what Keith Young taught me? Not only to walk with the Lord, not only encouraged me, he opened the Bible with me and he showed me how to systematically study 
sections of the scripture. I'd never seen that done before. I'd read the Bible, I'd studied the Bible, I'd taught out of the Bible, but he showed me how to, okay, what's the big idea, the observation? What's the big theme of this passage? What are the, what are the points it's making? What are the implications? What are the timeless truths? And then what are the principles, the statements that you can make that are always true about that passage? And then how do you apply it to your life? And he took me through this system week after week after week after week. That changed my life. And then I began meeting with John Bruce. And in the context of this relationship with this man, close proximity, we talked about life. What was going on in my life? Whatever was happening. And then I slowly figured out, if I don't ask him a question with the Bible, he's not going to raise a question. He's, he's, he, he doesn't have a curriculum in front of him. So I asked him, I said, well, what are you, stu- what are you reading in the Bible? And he said, well, I'm, I'm studying the book of Romans. I'm memorizing it too. I said, well, I'm going to do the same thing. And so I'd come now every week in this relationship, having studied a passage out of Romans, and then we talked, I had three questions. Okay, here's my three questions for today. And then we'd get into a dialogue and discuss it. Sometimes, sorry, I didn't have time, you know, midterms, finals, or I just didn't get to it. Okay, well, let's talk about life. Let's talk about your relationship. Let's talk about your relationships in the fraternity. Let's talk about how you're doing. And so that was life. It was modeled for me. And then he shared his life, invited me over to his, his home with his family. I learned how to live the Christian life, not in a crowd, but by an individual. That's how I learned it. I graduated college, moved down, started working in commercial real estate. And I was disconnected again. And a friend of mine who was on staff Mike Cousins, we played rugby together, and he was on staff with Campus Crusade up at Cal, and he had moved down to work on a PhD at USC. And I was working in Torrance, and he said, why don't you come on out to USC, let's go out to breakfast every week and we'll talk. And he walked me through my entire dating relationship with Denise. And I remember one time I was so frustrated and disappointed, and I'm like, we're never going to get this thing, and we're fighting, and we, we don't see it eye to eye, and she doesn't understand me, and, and I'm just going off, and, and Mike's sitting there with me, and he reaches over and grabs my Bible and takes it off the table and says, well, I guess you don't need this anymore. And I thought, oh my gosh, he just took away my Bible. I've been studying that thing for a long time. I was like offended. And then I realized in that moment that he had just taught me an important truth. If you're not going to read it and study it and obey it, why do you have it? And it's not going to do anything in that relationship you have with Denise. And until you get to a point where you begin to be obedient and trust the Lord in your relationship with Denise, you're not going to see any fruit. And it, was a, it, was a, it, it happened in the context of a relationship. I remember Bob my, and Judy, my brother-in-law and my sister, early in our years, they, they discipled us, mentored us as a couple. And we'd go over and have dinner. They were married. We were dating. Even through our struggles, they would, I remember one thing Bob said, we were running. And he goes, you know, in a relationship, it's like running. Slow man sets the pace. We were talking about who was outrunning the other person in the relationship. Someone was too far along. Come back. Work together. I remember that lesson that you taught me. Judy, when, when I was in college, she would write me letters and I'd write her letters back. We discipled through letters. We discipled as couples. We discipled each other one-on-one. That's what it looks like. That's the call of discipleship. Does that make sense? 
And what we often focus is on, let's get a big crowd. Let's just get a lot of energy. And then we walk away going, that was nice. But what really is going to make a difference is when we start connecting with one another. There are high schoolers, junior hires, little kids. There are athletes. There are young business people, young couples getting married that need our encouragement. And we need to be in what I call, here's discipleship for you today in the millennial culture. Here's how I'm going to define it. We're an open, honest, real, spiritual dialogue with one another about becoming formed in Christ. I think that's the way a millennial thinks. I was with a Young Life group of staff members uh, earlier this week, and I said, well, tell me more about millennials. They go, we are millennials. I said, well, then you know a lot about millennials. Tell me about it. Well, we like consistency. We like openness. We want dialogue. We want to we live for a purpose. We want to live for social change. We want to find a purpose for life. Great. That's discipleship. Being in those kinds of relationships, open conversation. Let's just talk. Let's take our relationship, let's take our lunch, let's take our connection and just ratchet it up just a little bit and begin talking at a higher level of, with openness, honesty, realness, and a little bit of spiritual dialogue about how we want to be formed in Christ. That is going to change the culture more than anything else. Neil Coles, a pastor down Long Beach, he says, It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. I love that. It's just, okay, all right. Sounds good to me. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Dallas Willard is one of my favorite writers, and, and in his Divine Conspiracy, he says that literally what it means, here it is, a mature disciple is one who effortlessly does what Jesus would do if Jesus were him. And others have translated that. Literally, a disciple is understanding how to do life if Jesus were living in your shoes. How would Jesus live your life? That's what a disciple is, and helping others do the very same thing. So next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about how do we do this? Thank you, guys. How do we actually accomplish this? Come back. We're going to give you some tools. We're going to go deeper in what it looks like to be in discipleship. We can do this. What Jesus had going for him was close proximity. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He said to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, just come follow me. Come be with me. John 1.35. The disciples go, where do you live? He says, I don't know. Come with me. You'll find out. Come with me. Have close proximity. So the question is, do we have close proximity with anyone in our lives? Do we have, have we given someone else permission? Are we seeking those kinds of relationships? And second of all, what I notice about Jesus is he had something to share. Is your life worth imitating? That's a challenge for us, isn't it? And I'm not saying it's got to be perfect. I'm not saying you got to have it all worked out. In fact, I know you don't because I don't. But I do know this, that we're all working together, becoming more like Christ. In a world, in in just just an envelope with grace and love and acceptance. We move forward. 
Jesus wants to transform you. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. And if you're willing to be transformed and changed, guess where it happens? Not in the large settings. It happens one-to-one. Transformation happens one-to-one. I could go on and on and on. I've got more quotes. I got more illustrations. I got more material. But I think that's it. I think that's what it is. That's discipleship. So let's do it. Let's do it. So come on up, Godwin. Let me pray for us. And as we go into a time of communion, some of you uh, are still at the community level, and that's great. And here you are, and you're coming, you're joining us, and you're figuring out church, and you want to know what it it looks like to worship God and, and be part of a community. Great. You're at the community level. You're at phase one. Great. We all are at phase one. We're always in phase one. And maybe you're at phase two where you're now going to be willing to go into a grounded group or get into a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study. We've got some more starting up or maybe a, a prayer group. We've got a new prayer group for men meeting at our church on Lamita Boulevard Tuesday morning at 7 in the morning for men to come just for one hour to be prayed for, to pray. Come join us. Maybe it's at the group level. Maybe you're willing to take, a, take another little step And now you're in phase three of discipleship. I want to be more intentional about my relationships with other people as I go into all segments of society. With my non-believing friends, with my believing friends, my hurting friends, my growing friends. And I want to take advantage of that. And that's where you are this morning. And it's just a little tweaking. And all of a sudden, a dialogue begins about faith what it looks like to be Christ to be formed in me. Father, this is our heart. This is our hope. We pray, Father, that you would just bring about a massive amount of healing in our our church and in our way of thinking and just heal us up, Lord, in a new way of understanding how we are made and created in your image to be in relationship and how you took a simple but profound thing like a one-to-one relationship and Jesus, you turned it into something mind-blowing, something life-changing, something world-changing. And may we also have the same vision and heart that you have and learn from you May we take another step and even begin the dialogue with someone else about our relationship with you. Maybe something we've learned in scripture. Maybe some struggles we've had or maybe we've, we've won a great victory or we're right in the middle of something. We just get together and pray and we trust the Lord. And we just say, okay, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, don't trust in your own ways, but trust in the Lord with all your ways and he will acknowledge him and he will make your ways straight. Okay, we're gonna do that. But I pray, Father, that we would Take the next step as a church. Amen. So as uh, the worship team leads us,